Amen. Thank you, choir. Didn't you enjoy that this morning? Can't think of another way to kick off our service. It is good to see you here this morning in the house of the Lord. We we'll welcome you to First Baptist Pineville. If you are a first-time guest, we'd love to know more about you, and you'll see inside your bulletin. Actually, you'll see a lot of stuff in your bulletin today, but in particular, a little blue communication card. If you'd fill that out and, and turn that in at the end of the service, we'd love to have that. Also, when you turn that in, you get a copy of our pastor's free book. It's a good book, and so he'll also autograph it for you as well, I think, for free, right? Or also a donation of the Georgia Barnett offering. We'll do that as well. But it is our week of prayer for Georgia Barnett. And we're going to show you just a brief video here just for a moment. some reason God had prompted me, it wasn't really in my notes, to really speak about how this Jesus is just historical, that he really did live and die and rise again, that this is history. We follow a real Jesus who really died for us. And I remember a, a young lady sitting to the left of me named uh, Kaylee just hanging on every single word. I'd never seen her before, never met her before, and I remember noticing her. She didn't speak to me after the service, um, and we all left, and the next day, on a Monday, I received an email that she'd been doing research uh, on spirituality. She'd been going to the local library to read books on different religions. And as part of her research, she wanted to come to a Christian church. And she had seen that lots of things had been happening at this particular Christian church across the street from her. That sermon, I swear, it was like God was speaking to me right through Brandon. And so she showed up on that Sunday morning. And apparently when I began to speak about Jesus and how he historically lived and died and rose again for our sins, it clicked with her that this religion is different than any of the religions that she had been looking into previously, and she became a Christian. That day I went home from church, and I picked that Bible up, and I just started reading it, and it was just overwhelming. Like It felt like the right thing. So I decided to give it a chance. And uh, that's when we went to prayer, and um, instead of being a prayer session, Brandon ended up preaching to us all night. And at the end of the night, he said, this isn't at all how I planned it. I was, it was supposed to be a prayer night. I ended up preaching. He said, uh, you know, somebody in here must have needed to hear, hear the word. And I looked over at Kaylee, and I said, that was me. He's talking about me. I needed to hear that, you know, and I, I went in there to you know, looking to save my relationship, and I walked out with a new relationship with, with God. He's brought me peace. He's saved some of my family through His Word. Things that I, I felt early on was, uh, it wasn't that we were coming out to St. Rose to start something new. It was that we were coming out to this community to join in on something God was already doing. We had four salvations happen before we ever had our first Sunday morning service. Just through prayer and through reaching out and relationally sharing Jesus. It was almost as if God had primed the people, as if they were waiting on us to get here with the good news. And that, my friends, is what our Georgia Barnett offerings go for. Let's pray this morning. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day. We thank you for the honor and privilege you've given us to come before your throne of grace, to acknowledge your greatness, your awesomeness, Lord Jesus. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you be with our pastor as he delivers the message you put upon his heart, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the message that you would have us to receive today. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for all of our church planners here in, the, in Louisiana as today they diligently present the gospel, as they form relationships, as they build bridges and they serve you, Lord. I pray also, Lord, for our disaster relief teams that are at this very moment serving and helping others in their hour of darkest need, Lord. I also pray, Lord Jesus, that you be with our friends and family that are in Miami and Southern Florida 
Watch over and protect them in this very moment as well, Jesus. We love you. We acknowledge our dependence, and we acknowledge our appreciation for you for shedding your precious blood on the cross, Lord. We love you, and we ask these things. You're powerful in your holy name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together? Let's sing this great truth that comes from the word of God. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Let's sing. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong to save us and continually renew us if we would just lean on him and lean on his strength and power he is able in every storm and every gale he is able let's sing come ye sinners poor and needy come ye Come ye round. 
just sing and lift our hearts to the Lord today. Just say thank you for all he's done. Let's sing, church. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings in life. Lord, you have blessed us so, and you are able. You are able to save, dear God. For over 2,000 years, you've been able to, Lord. Your great and loving heart has been with us. We just thank you for that. Lord, now bless this church as we go forward. Lord, bless this offering as we give it today. Use it for the furtherance of our kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. opened up our servers with a song that says as Paul and Silas were in their chains that night they chose instead of saying look at us look at our problems look at how we are suffering they chose in that moment to praise the Lord and to praise the name of Jesus and I have found in my own life that's when our worship is the sweetest Anyone on the mountaintop can praise God and say, look at his goodness. But it's when we're in the valley, when we're staring at life's storms, that he truly is worthy of our worship. He's always worthy. But that's when our worship is the sweetest. And they praised his name, the name of Jesus above all names. The Bible says that the name of Jesus one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That he is Lord above all. Here's an old song. Would you sing this with me as, as we think about the name of Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus, let all heaven and earth Wonderful, his name is wonderful, his name. 
is the sweetest name I know and he's just the same as his lovely name and that's the reason why I love him so oh Jesus is the sweetest name I know oh Jesus is the sweetest name I know Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, though I walk through the wilderness. When I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Oh, praise. 
enjoy Gordon leading us in worship the last few weeks and uh, why don't you say the Lord's name again Jesus say it with me Jesus say it one more time Jesus to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God this morning our text is John chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 and we're going to be looking at The message that I've entitled, Jesus, a new right to life. And that new right to life all comes because of the powerful name of Jesus. So thank you, Gordon, for centering us on the name of Jesus this morning. Let's begin by reading the text, 1 John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. When I prepared to go to Louisiana College, I had one pressing desire, other than to find a lady. (laughs) One pressing desire was to step out from under the shadow of my parents. In fact, my mama just rolled her eyes. (laughs) In high school, I had teachers who were members of our church. I had teachers who had been longtime friends of my parents. And I, though I carved out my own identity in high school, I was still Charles and Cassie's son. So when I was preparing to go to Louisiana College, I told mom and dad, I want to be Stuart, not Charles and Cassie's son. I wanted a new right to life, my own life. And so I started LC. And guess what happened? All the coaches and PE department knew my mom. All the administration knew my dad because of dad's tenure as an administrator at LSUA. And most of the longtime professors would ask, are you Charles and Kathy's son? Oh. Well, 
I soon realized that I needed to embrace who I was, even if that was Charles and Kathy's son sometimes. I also realized that in some circumstances, that relationship could prove fairly beneficial. And so I accepted that. And while I had a right to my own life, part of my life was thriving as a child of my parents. So after Louisiana College, I moved to Texas for 10 years, and then I came right back to central Louisiana, right back to where I was back to being Charles and Kathy's son, now pastor at First Baptist Pineville. But now when I meet somebody who has any connection to LSUA, I ask, hey, my dad worked there for about 30 years. Do you know Charles Holloway? And if I find anybody who has a connection to Tioga High School or Bolton High School, I say, hey, my mom coached at the, and taught at those schools. Do you happen to know Kathy Holloway? It's a joy now to talk about my parents' achievements and to connect with them. Today, we're going to be faced with a similar yet much more important choice as I was faced in college. Will you reject the life that can be yours, not necessarily as a child of your parents, but the life that can be yours as a child of God? Will you reject that or will you receive that life? To reject that right to life is tragic. To receive it is transformational. And our text, as we've already read, is John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And in these four short verses, we find two options between which every believer must choose. To receive Jesus Christ or to reject him. It's the most important decision anyone will ever make. It's more important than your college major, even though that will determine potentially the next 30 or 40 years of your life. It's even more important than the person you marry, though that will determine the next maybe 60 or 70 years of your life. The decision to follow Jesus is the most important decision because it not only determines the rest of your life, but it determines all of eternity. And so let's consider the first option, which is tragic rejection. Look again at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. When we read those verses, I think John wants us to have a certain kind of reaction. And I think that reaction is that when we hear that, we would say, how could they? How can you reject your own? How can you reject the creator? What a shame. Look closely at those verses. Verse 10 says, Jesus was in the world, the very world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. Humanity was looking at their maker, and yet they rejected him. Have you ever watched the television show Undercover Boss? Anybody ever watched that? Um, in that show, if you've never seen it, a CEO of a large company goes undercover to work among the laborers in his business. So uh, he may leave the, the corporate headquarters and go to a franchise where he'll be a, a cashier or a salesman or a cook or whatever they do in their business. Or, or maybe he'll go to a factory and he'll work along the assembly line with the factory workers. Or maybe he'll go to the shipping department and, and help get shipping out. And in doing these various jobs alongside the laborers of his company, the, the boss learns the story of his, of his people. He learns the frustrations they face. Often he learns tweaks and, and improvements that he can make in those various parts of the business. And as he listens to the people in those trenches, he gets to know them and he builds relationships with them. And the show works because those workers have no idea that their CEO is working beside them. Usually they'll have on some kind of costume, but a lot of them may have never even seen a picture of their CEO, so they really don't know what they look like anyway. But the show gets a little humorous when the the laborer is griping about corporate right there with the CEO working alongside them, talking about how they don't understand and don't listen to them. Well, the show always ends with a big reveal. 
And typically, the boss calls the workers to the headquarters among whom he's worked alongside. And when the reveal happens, the workers are amazed, of course. And then they're typically blessed. The the CEO will talk about, hey, you know, while we worked, I I learned that that you haven't been able to save much money for your kid's college, so we're going to pay for that. We're going to take care of that. Or or maybe I I learned that, you know, so-and-so is having some really bad medical bills, and and we're going to take care of that. And we're going to bless you in that way. And so it's a pretty cool thing that happens. Well, Jesus came into the world as a not-so-undercover boss. He's not the CEO, he's the COE, he's the creator of everything. But when he arrived, he was not undercover. Though he stepped down from glory and became like a man, hundreds of prophecies had preceded his coming. In addition to that, he spoke as one who had authority and people took notice of that. He revealed who he was to certain people. But even if they missed that, there was a really big reveal at the end known as the resurrection. And even if they missed that, he appeared to numerous witnesses and gave convincing evidence that he was alive, Luke tells us in the first chapter of Acts. So Jesus came and he revealed himself, yet for all of that revelation, some did not recognize him. More than some actually, most. Many miss Jesus and still today, people miss Jesus. People miss Jesus for a lot of reasons. One reason that people miss Jesus is they're blinded by the evil one. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So some people don't believe because the enemy puts blinders on them. But some people don't believe because he doesn't fit their mold. And that was especially true of the case in Jesus' day. You know, the Jews had very distinct ideas of what the Messiah should be like. Whether that was a great provider or a conquering king or a miracle worker. But Jesus came doing all of those things in different ways, but he came as a suffering servant. And that suffering servant didn't jive with all of these other things. A man dying on a cross, a Messiah dying on a cross didn't fit with a conquering king, miracle worker, provider who was going to overthrow all the evil people. So the Jews rejected him. And people still reject him for the same reasons. They reject Jesus because he doesn't fit their idea of what they want or need, or expect. Some people don't accept Jesus because they're blinded. Some because he doesn't fit their mold. Third, people miss Jesus because they're focused on themselves. And this can come in two different ways. Some people are focused on themselves in that they're focused on the pride. Their pride in themselves prevents them from following Jesus because they think they don't need him. And That could be some of us today. We don't really need Jesus, and so we reject him. But other people turn away from Jesus because their sin and their life struggles make them think that Jesus would never love them, could never use them, could never forgive them, and he would never want them. For whatever reason, the things they've been through are are so horrible that Jesus could never touch their lives. Jesus could never want them. They're not goody two-shoes. They're not perfect. And so they reject Jesus. And that could be you today. Perhaps you don't think that Jesus could really use you. And so I want to tell you that he offers forgiveness and Jesus can use you. He wants everyone and everyone needs him. It's a shame to miss Jesus. But many people did, many people have, and many people still do. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. How could they do that? But then there's verse 11 that says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
F.F. Bruce translates it this way. He says, he came to his own place and his own people did not recognize him or did not receive him. Can you imagine? He came to his own place, to his own people, and they rejected him. How can that happen? I mean, it's not like this is some episode of an afternoon soap opera. Anybody ever watch Days of Our Lives? Don't raise your hands. Don't, don't raise your hands. But I haven't, I haven't watched that show in probably 10 years and only spotting the last 20. But when I was growing up, only, we pretty much only had KALB. And so during summer and during Christmas holidays, dad came home from, from work for lunch and Days of Our Lives was on. Well, and here's, here's kind of the storylines that were going on back then. You know, you had, you'd have this, this person on the show and they would... The, the actor would have to go off to make a movie or something. So they're not on the show for a while. And then for a few months, they're gone. But then this, this character would come back, but a completely different actor would be playing the part. And so a storyline developed, something like someone had kidnapped the person, uh, gave them a face transplant, and now they've returned. Or sometimes the so-called face transplanted person had really not had a face transplant. They were not really the real person, but had been brainwashed into thinking they were the real person. And so then they were brought back into town to do evil to this certain family. And so then chaos ensued as this family decided, do we reject the person who's really not our loved one? Or do we love the person who's really not our loved one? And who's they married to? And who are they married to now? Because they've now married like four different people. And it was all crazy. But then, just about the time they got that worked out, here comes the real actor back as the real person who had been kidnapped, taken off to some deserted island somewhere, and now we have a real mess of absolute absurdity. And of course, it would take at least five years to develop that plot on Days of Our Lives, but it only took a week in the people's lives. Now, the coming of Jesus was not like that. Jesus did not show up in town randomly, walking back into people's lives who hadn't seen him in five years and looking differently because he'd had some kind of face transplant. Jesus came in an unprecedented manner. John the Baptist pointed to him. Jesus worked miracles that evidenced who he was. He taught in such a way that he touched hearts like no one had ever touched. Things happened when he showed up like lepers were cleansed and the dead were raised. Still, his own people in his own place would have none of him. Now certainly this idea of his own people in his own place refers first of course to the Jewish people of Jesus' day. And it's tragic that they rejected him because the Jewish people had enjoyed thousands of years of not just general revelation and like creation and such, but special revelation, specific revelation, where God had revealed himself to them through his word. They had the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the wisdom. They had all of that. They had wonderful, magnificent things that God had done among them. And they knew that they had that. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7 says, For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? Doesn't that sound like they knew what they were dealing with? But repeatedly, for generation after generation before Jesus, the testimony of God's servants, the prophets, was you're ignoring God's message. And so frustrated, God said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, from the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants the prophets day in and day out, but my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They've been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Well, now as Jesus came in the New Testament, the word had not come from a burning bush or by a prophet or God had not appeared as a pillar of fire nor had he appeared as a hand writing on a wall. He came in flesh 
to his own place, to his own people in an unprecedented manner. And nevertheless, they would have none of it. But don't be too hard on the Jews because we can do the same thing. Still today, people reject Jesus, his own people, his own place. The rejection of Jesus is tragic because even though he's come, people continually say, go away. I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. I don't need Jesus. Jesus, you could never forgive me. Jesus could never use me. Or Jesus, he's just a crutch weak people need. What a tragedy. The light was blazing into the darkness and the darkness could not see the light. People are like prisoners who have, have been too long in the darkness of a cell that when their, their cell door is opened and they step into the light, they're blinded by it and so they recede back into darkness where they think it's more comfortable. I pray that that's not you today. But you have the option to do that. God forces himself on nobody. You have the option to reject him, but it is a tragic rejection, especially when there's another option, and that is transformational reception. Look at verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Whereas many people reject Jesus, there are others who received him. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Many people in Jesus' own day made that transformational reception. We're going to get to learn about a lot of them in this gospel. There was a Samaritan woman who had been married numerous times and was now living with a man when she met Jesus. Jesus told her pretty much everything she'd ever done. And yet she made that choice for him. She made the transformational reception. Jesus will meet a, a paralytic and he'll ask him, do you want to get well? Not meaning just physically, but completely. And that paralytic will make the decision for transformational reception. When a man... Born blind, presents himself to Jesus. Jesus will heal that man. When people ask that man what happened, he'll say, I don't know how he did it. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. He makes the choice for transformational reception. One by one, lives were changed. One by one, those walking in darkness saw the light. One by one, they took their unlit candle that had them in darkness and they held it out to the light of life and he lit it and they took his light into their life. It was a transformational reception. Now we could wonder why it was so transformational. And the answer is there where he says he gave them the right to become children of God. The word right may in your translation be translated power or authority. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you the right, the power, the authority to become a child of God. And that is a transformational reception. In fact, in his little letter of 1 John, the same writer of the gospel writes 1 John 3, 1. Would you read this out loud with me? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Now, I know I sprung that on you. Now, don't read it like it's the first time you've ever seen it and you don't know what it means. Now, read it like you mean it and like you're declaring it to somebody and you're really excited about it, okay? Let's read it together. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Say that again, and that is what we are. And that is what we are. That's an exclamation point of anyone who becomes a child of God. That's what we should say. This is amazing. It's amazing to be a child of God. Not to reject it. Not to turn away from it. Not to carve out our own life. But to accept it and claim that right. 
And how do we get that awesome relationship? Yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name. Receive him. What does that mean? How do you receive him? Well, to receive, you acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was. He's the savior of the world, that you have sins, that he needs to forgive, that he needs to be the Lord of your life. Yes, Jesus, you are the son of God. As John will say later, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so the question is, have you received him? But it's not just to those who received him. It's also then those who believed in his name. And that believing there in his name is that same kind of belief we talked about a few weeks ago where we are all in. Yes, it does agree that Jesus is the son of God. Yes, it does assent to a certain fact. But then it jumps in with all commitment to that fact. Remember, I used the illustration of, a, of someone jumping out of an airplane. I can assent to the fact that you can go up in an airplane, strap on a parachute, jump out, and the parachute will slowly descend you to earth. But it is a totally different kind of belief to actually go up in that airplane, put on a parachute, and jump out myself. I'm not willing to put that kind of belief in a parachute. But that's the kind of belief we have to put into Jesus. To those who received him... To those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And we believe in his name. We've sung a lot about his name this morning. His name is a strong and mighty power. There's something about that name. His name is wonderful. And why do you think so many songwriters write about his name? Because we could never exhaust it. It is Amazing. The name captures the essence of a person, and that's what Jesus' name does. It has power and authority. You see, birth into the family of God is quite different from physical birth. You receive and you believe. John explains the difference in verse 13, where he says, We're we're born not of natural descent. Children of God are not from some particular bloodline. You don't need to go to Ancestry.com and see if somewhere in your percentages, if there's this one little sliver that says, child of God. It's not going to be there because a child of God does not come from a bloodline descent. Nor, he says, of human decision. You don't become a child of God the way children are normally born. When a Husband and wife decide they're going to start a family. You don't become a child of God through birth from a mom and dad. Or, he says, a husband's will. That's how the NIV translates it. I don't think that's the best translation. Most translations will say something like the will of man or a person's own determination. And so the idea is that you can't uh, become a child of God by bloodline. You can't become a child of God just by being born physically into it. And you can't become a child of God just all on your own, that you make that decision, a, 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 a man's will. You don't decide that on your own. But how are you a child of God? He says, but born of God. You and I become children of God only by God. As John said in 1 John, by God's lavished love on us. And he shows us his love by coming to us in as this wonderful light who gives life. He comes to his own, to his own place, and he says, I am here for you. I'm here to redeem you of your sins. I'm here to give you purpose in life. I'm here to give you not only abundant life here, but eternal life in forever. Will you receive me? And will you believe on my name? If you do, if you will, then I'll give you the power, the authority, the right to become a child of God. As I worked on this message, my my mind was filling up with songs from my childhood that talked about being a child of God. 
And um, I just took some time and, and Googled a bunch of the songs. And, and amazingly, there were videos or recordings or something of, of all of them. And I've discovered that all of them that came to mind were from kids' praise musicals that I did growing up. Anybody remember kids' praise stuff? Like, I'm gonna walk, wah, wah, sing, la, la. It was good songs. Um, <laughs> but in his time, in his time, he makes all things wonderful. Those songs like that, those good stuff. They really were. And I was, I, so I kind of wasted 30, 45 minutes probably just listening to songs from my childhood. I actually started crying. I was like, this is crazy. Why am I doing this? But, but one of the songs that came to mind was from a mus- musical we did when I was in eighth grade. And um, Kids Praise, if you know, they had Salty the Singing Songbook. Anybody? And um, I played Salty the Singing Songbook. Did you get to play that? Oh, no, you didn't get to play that. Okay. I had to play Salty in eighth grade. And um, one of my friends, Sean, was this little boy in the musical we did. It was Kids Pray 6. And he was this poor little boy who realized that though he had nothing else, he was a child of the king. And there's a sweet little melody that he sings. It goes like this. Of course, I'm not an eighth grader, but I'm a tenor, so you can get kind of close to what an eighth grade boy sounds like. Um, it says, I'm a child of the king. If I have you, then I have everything. Though the world might think that I am poor, I am rich because I have you, Lord. That should be the refrain of our lives. I'm a child of the king. If I have Jesus, then I have everything. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter where I'm going. I am a child of the king. So the question then today is, are you? Have you received him and believed on his name? For those of you who have, then I encourage you to live like it. I encourage you to be excited about it, to accept that heritage and live as a child of the king. Don't reject it like I did in college of my parents, but accept it and be proud of it. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to do that today. In just a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer. Then we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And during that invitation, I'd encourage you to come and you say, Pastor, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I want to be transformed. I want to make that transformational reception. Would you do that today? Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We ask God that you would speak to our hearts today and call those who need to respond as your children in this service at this time to do so today. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to send your only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but would have everlasting life. But would not just have everlasting life in eternity, could have abundant life here and now in both places, living as children of God. We thank you, Lord. It is sweet to trust in your name. And we pray this simply believing in that name, Jesus Christ. Amen.